Hello from Austin. Welcome to episode 143 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Vladek. It's a home game. It's a home game? We're, we're here. We're, we're back. Here. We're here. No longer on the road. And we're, we're in high quality uh, National Security Law Podcast studios. That's right. Which the picture that the Austin Chronicle, oh, let's start by saying thank you to the Austin Chronicle for giving us a Critics' Choice Award for uh, the podcast category. Indeed. Fantastic. Woohoo. We're very excited. But I think what we love the most about this, I, I, I'm confident, the picture the that picture. they used to illustrate, because the they, they took a picture of us and they captured Without us. Without telling us why, by the way. No, yeah. They, they came in and said, we want to take a picture. We didn't. We just assumed it was some sort of local interest story. And the picture, which is on our Twitter feed, uh, captures us in a moment of perfect unintended frivolity, because we're talking, we're enumerating something at, at the number four level. I've got four... Uh, you know, index. So like, through, how do you count to four? How do you count to four with your hands? How do right. you enumerate it? And right. you're going Euro style with your thumb in the lead. And my, my favorite was the person who responded with like the actual biological explanation of why it's hard to go from like the two ligaments the or tendons three, the that ligament are and tendon, like you can't get that fourth finger up while the pinky is down. Your pinky and your ring, your ring finger are connected. Now, I think what, what everyone picked up on, <laughs> or not whatever, what many people picked up on correctly was I was going for the inglorious bastards bar scene. Right, where the way that the English spies, you know, are sort of outed is because he he orders three glasses the English way, not the German way. See, si. correcto. See, si, <laughs> so my gif in response to that was like, you know, so you're like, oh, is this an inglorious bastards reference? And so yeah, I had the nice. I had the Brad Pitt gif. See, si, er, correcto. Uh. <laughs> That was, that well, was uh, in other exciting news, and also speaking of homecoming, you're just back after landing like midnight last night because you were in the Supreme Court of the United States yesterday. Speaking of C or correcto, <laughs> did you? Did yeah? Did you use that in response to any questions from the justices? I did not. I you know that I there there was not quite a, a do you think Marbury versus Madison is right moment. I was that was my next question was did you get any crazy questions? No, there was there, there was no laughter. There were no crazy questions. It was just uh, it was it was intense. And it was serious and it was it was whew, it was it was a lot well let's make that our first item today uh the hernandez cross-border shooting case which you argued in the supreme court yesterday will be item number right one here. uh let's pivot from that we'll talk about judge casper's ruling which is beginning to get a lot of attention which yeah. is very interesting because speaking of borders yes yeah, ooh, nice borders and the fourth amendment border segue yeah, and, border I, and i don't mean guards writing segues at the border um it's a ruling from a massachusetts federal district judge about Border searches uh, without suspicion, without predication of uh, phones and laptops, et cetera, at the ports like you, of entry. You land, you land at the airport on an international flight. Can the can the can the customs officer search your laptop? Yeah, and not and, and indeed go all, go so far as to attach external equipment, wirelessly or otherwise, to copy and 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 explore the full contents of your electronic mm-hmm. devices. So we'll talk about that ruling. Uh, then let's talk military commissions because our sustaining uh, – is it a member? Is it a sustaining family? It's, it's a cluster of issues. It's a cluster. We will uh, talk about it in uh, some detail. And then um, we should touch base with this story pivoting over to Trumplandia that uh, the New York Times reports that Trump is considering firing the DNI's uh, inspector general, the intelligence community inspector general, Michael Atkinson. And there's both things to say about that possibility, and wait, wait, fire him because he's not loyal enough. Yeah, saying for being disloyal. How and, dare you? And there's been some confused coverage, I think, about what the president's uh, 
uh, powers and responsibilities are for removing an officer in that situation. Yep. And then uh, if time permits, which it may not, because I've got to, once again, race to the airport at the tail end of this. We're like, we're like ships passing in the night. I know, but, we, but fans, friends, countrymen, Romans, all of you, uh, we make a point of being here. In case you're uh, sadly interested in hearing what we have to say, we want to be there to, to meet that. So uh, even though Steve just arrived and I'm about to take off. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. And, and <laughs> For we, and, better or and worse. By the way, and we, have a new, we have a new acting secretary of Homeland Security, and we are about to have a new acting deputy secretary. They found a job for Cuccinelli. So let's squeeze all that in, uh, in like with, 40 minutes. In the Trump landing segment. Okay, let's go. Starting and, with And the impeachment hearings are, are underway. And uh, you could be watching that, but instead you're here with us. We Hi. appreciate you. Yeah, uh, I guess it's only because probably there You've will be. you watched it already. Pro- yeah, probably you're on the elliptical or you're driving or you're on the subway right now. And uh, you, for whatever reason, you can't access the impeachment. Do, do, it, do you ever see the Saturday Night skits from the like, late 80s or early 90s when people are in the subway and they're trying to figure out what the announcements are? Uh, well, I, I remember I remember living that. And then, Ladies and gentlemen, this train this train's going to be delayed. For- no, that's way too coherent. And so and so then they're like and so they're like, can you you know can you come out of the booth because I can't hear you through the speaker. So they come out of the booth and then they actually. Oh, no, talk. that's their voice. Anyway, okay. So Hernandez, you argued you argued yesterday. True. Um, my my first thing I know. Okay, first of all, you did a fabulous job. Thanks. Uh, you did a really good job. You have you have a tough case to make. True. Um, I was so pleased to see so many people commenting online about the quality advocacy you did. Even people who didn't necessarily agree with uh, your position <laughs> were noting the quality of the advocacy. Like, like you did great. I'm not saying you should win, but you did great. <laughs> but, like, but nonetheless, well, this reminds me. Remember when there was a uh, reality TV show that tried to pit uh, teams of lawyers. Uh, to work on a case, and it was, I forget what it was called. But I it was, don't remember this. The premise was ridiculous because you were supposed to sort of like, you know, pass judgment as to which team had done the better job. And they, they're arguing different sides. It's not an apples to apples right. comparison. This is like, so this is the, the dirty little secret to how my, my, my law school friend and classmate Eric Fleissig Green and I won the moot court finals when we were three L's. Hmm. We had the better side. Like, it's just, like right. you know, I just it, the case was not, it was not a 50 50 case. It's a, there ought to be a level of difficulty thing like gymnastics, like well you're trying, you know, or diving. You're trying the triple lindy. Indeed, mm-hmm. you like that? as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to you're walking in a straight line. Exactly. Hey, like, hey well, line. well done, but boy, did you walk in that straight line? Well, so, by that by that logic, I think my degree of difficulty score yesterday was pretty high. It was high. You're you're facing a tough one, but it but it's it is up in the air. This is not a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Um, although, although although I will, I mean, my my one sort of big headline from the argument for me is it's up in the air based on a different justice than I thought going in. Okay, so unpack that. So I had thought going in, and I don't think this is going to come as a great shock to anyone, that the best chance we had at getting five votes to for our position, which is that there ought to be um, a judge-made damages cause of action for the parents of Sergio Hernandez, that he, that, that he should be allowed to sue Agent Mesa, at least arguing that his constitutional rights were violated. Right, so um, just because some listeners, yeah. we've talked about this so much, I'm just assuming everybody knows. It's it's about whether Bivens should apply in this circumstance, given that, because am I correct that if, if this had happened in the streets of Austin, um, there would clearly be a damages remedy? Well, this is this is one of the things that got messy in the argument, right? Is is it's not, I actually don't think it's clear that that's the government's position. The government actually ran away from its position a little bit toward the end of the argument, which is interesting, right? That, that um, it might not be that, yes, it's a complicating factor that it's a cross border shooting, but that might not be a, a dispositively, right, that, you know, if it were a, a Mexican national, 
you know, 10 miles. I mean, Justice Kagan asked this question, right? What, yeah. what if we're 10 miles into the into into the United States? Yeah, right? you just get to shoot this person because they're not an American right. or not a lawful permanent well, so, resident? I mean, and the government would say, no, no, we don't get to shoot them, but the court shouldn't recognize the damages remedy. That, anyway. But, <laughs> You're like, well, <laughs> it's kind of the same, kind uh, of the same thing. But if it was an American citizen, like if, if you got shot um, – you, if you got shot, you would clearly have a Bivens action against an officer, right? Not necessarily, right? So, so again, the government's <laughs> position is if I were standing, if I were, if I were at the border, no, no, but here, oh yeah, yeah. yeah so the paradigm would yes. be there. There's clearly that's the whole point of Bivens. If is, I were shot by an FBI officer, yeah. right? If I were shot by an FBI officer engaged in law enforcement, yes, that would be a right. Bivens claim. So we throw in change the location to the border and then cross the border. So the shot fired from the American side, yep. bullet impacts on the, yep. the Mexico side, and then change the citizenship, which was not known to, to the, the officer right. or knowable. Right. So I gone in, I mean the the you know I, the court has had a fair number of Bivens cases so that it's not like we're guessing about where the justices are like my my first argument Dalmazi, right? Uh, an issue no one had ever touched and so it's just everyone's a wild card. Um, or not, as the case may be. Yeah, right. Um so so here, I mean I think I was pretty confident going in about where at least 7 of the justices are. Um, and maybe eight. I was, you know, I was, I was the the wild card to me was Justice Gorsuch, because um, mm-hmm. he really hasn't written that much about Bivens, and because, you know, I think his particular um, methodological commitments might actually lead him toward the historical narrative we try to tell about mm-hmm. how this claim is actually not out of kilter with what you could have brought at common law. Right. Your your general interest in in supporting judicial remedies for harm. In, in this context, I think, does resonate with originalist perspectives right. because there used to be, as so few people today know, there used to be so much litigation that was a, that was a central means of corralling government power. And, and not just that, but I think the real surprise to folks is litigation in state court and under state law, yeah, state even tools. where the federal government was the defendant, right? That, that it was actually the principal understanding at the founding that it would be state remedies that would hold federal officers right. to account in state courts. Yeah. This is somewhat familiar to some people right. as, as to the connection between trespass yep. versus trespass actions and then warrants were the defense to the trespass actions totally. so you could do your job. Um, and then the Fourth you, Amendment was an argument for why the warrant was invalid and therefore not a valid defense. Right. right. That, so that was that was the model, right? right. And the, part of why the pro, the problem today is that Congress has gotten rid of those state court actions where federal officers are involved. So now it's right. Bivens or nothing in these cases. Right. This is sort of the story I assume of how you teach fed courts. It's it like is. this is a big part of what's it going is. on every it time. Is. Yep. Um, so I had thought going in that like my only hope was um, you know help me help me Neil Gorsuch. You're my only yeah. hope. <laughs> did, did you <laughs> did you kneel down or did you lean down and put that message? I did in not bring R two. R two did not come with me to the court. Oh my god. Um, um, you and, could have been legendary if you'd open with those words. Well, I think it became clear pretty on that that, that Neil Gorsuch was not my, my not your, is not my only hope. He's not the droid you were looking for. Yes, he is. Well played. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Neil Gorsuch was not the droid I was in looking honor for. of Disney Plus. Um, we had one exchange pretty early on where I think he suggested, I think quite powerfully, that he's he's not especially inclined toward our position, and then he basically sort of disengaged the rest of the argument. Um, so you know, when I sat down after 27 minutes, I was you know, it was it was hard for me to figure out where a fifth vote was going to come from, and it still may be. But um, during the respondents' argument, and to a lesser degree during the government's argument, um, there were some skeptical questions of the other side from Justice Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. which I had not been expecting because, you know, when he was on the D.C. Circuit, then Judge Kavanaugh um, wrote a concurring opinion in the Michal case, which was a, an American citizen bringing a Bivens claim based on a claim that he was tortured by the FBI 
um, in Africa. Um, and his concurring opinion in Michal, I had read as sort of fairly dismissive of the idea that Bivens should be anything other than, you know, the classic on U.S. soil heartland law enforcement dispute. And it was easy to see why he would think maybe this is not that. But man, I mean, I think what, what I walked away from the argument from was he may not end up, you know, being on our side, but he does not think this case is Michal. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's clearly not. Well, I mean, I, I, I think yeah, so. Yeah. Um, I'm with you that far. Right. And so, so you know, I think, let me put it this way. I, I'm still not especially, like, I still think that it's a long shot for us, but but I'm, I'm you know, if, if, if there's a way to five votes, I think it now probably runs through Justice Kavanaugh. And frankly, that's what, you know, most of the media reports about the mm-hmm. argument, um, I think, mm-hmm. also said. He could write a... a he could write a one-off that says sort of a rule for this one case, this particular yeah. very unusual fact pattern with its strong U.S. Right. territorial element, though it's not 100%. It's still – that's where the shot was fired from. And I think, listen, I think the reality is, I mean, you know, if, if that's how – if that's what I walked away from and if that's what the Supreme Court press walked away from, surely that's what the chief walked away from. And so, you know, I think it's likely that, that Kavanaugh gets the opinion assignment Either way. Either way. Yeah, it's going to be, that's going to be very interesting. You might just pull a rabbit out of a hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not, I mean, I, uh, to, just to touch on the national security yeah. angle to this, there's obviously a, sort of a general security angle, but there's a specific foreign relations national security angle where one of the factors militating that might militate against uh, extension, if it is extension, of Bivens to this fact pattern is the suggestion that um, because of the cross-border element, et cetera, that this implicates foreign relations in a context where the government's internal yep. uh, view is we looked at this and we don't think anything wrong happened here. Yeah. Um, what is the best response to the argument that there's a need to speak with one voice yeah. in foreign relations and the and that voice, you know, that thumb is that, is that, 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 that foot is me. That foot is me. The time right? has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot, and that is, foot me. is me. I knew there was something there. Um, so that was that was the chief's question. And yeah. I actually think that was the hardest, you know, substantively, I think that was the hardest question I got yesterday because there isn't a perfect answer. I mean, I think I tried to suggest that I think there's a difference between um, a Bivens suit that is challenging the government's policy on its face Right where the where you're asking the courts to say no executive branch your policy yeah. is wrong right? versus an action versus well and not just an action an ultra virus action right yeah. where the claim is yeah, that like no the, one's claiming this is right where the, okay. well eh, um, well the, I mean the DOJ says we investigated it blah 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 it was all fine it was you all can, fine <laughs> you can just shoot at people from across the well border. this is the thing right and so like, the, what's, but there's the got to be a limit to that logic well I mean I think the chief's position is yeah if DOJ thought you know but. Yeah, so there's a whitewash risk there. That's the, that's what I tried to suggest. Like and that so, can't be the final answer. Well, that's what I tried to suggest. So I think I think, and so what I tried to suggest is that like um, a Bivens claim that that centers on the argument that the officer was acting ultra virus, where if we are successful, if we prove our claim, it will mean a judicial determination that the officer violated executive right. Branch policy it actually supports can hardly be the embarrassment right of the of the of the one voice. Now the chief's point in response is. Well, but, you know, if the executive branch has represented to Mexico that it investigated and found that Mesa did nothing wrong, wouldn't a judicial decision to the contrary be calling that representation into question, right? And my response is, um, yes, but not in like a, not in like a preclusive way, right? That, you know, that we're not indicting our own officer for murder is not the same thing as saying, you know, he did not use unconstitutional force under the circumstances. Well, so, and I'm going to say the following as someone who is, as you know, is written about and is more or less a staunch advocate of 
certain forms of limited deference on national security matters uh, from the courts to the executive branch, it nonetheless needs to be interrogated, this claim that there will be an actual real cost in, in the diplomatic sphere were it to go otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, what exactly do we think is going to happen there? Right. And here and here you've got Mexico saying, actually, you know, the, the harm to your foreign relations is coming from it's the, the opposite. It's the opposite. Right. So, so, so there's that, like, so first of all, Mexico is like, we're cool. <laughs> it's fine with us. Um, and secondly, it really is hard to imagine in practical terms how there really is some sort of anything other than in a sort of a theoretical, if you frame the argument as there should be theoretical complete ownership by the executive branch of how we represent in foreign affairs, then you have to be willing to ride that sled all the way through the forest to the to the point where the executive branch can just say like, well, our view is X, end of story. Right. And, that's, and, and there's no possibility of vindicating and I, and I feel like a that, constitutional claim. You know, I, I feel like that can't be the answer. And yet, you know, I think that it's, we're in, you know, it's possible there are five votes for that. So that's, you know, that's, yeah. That's the stakes here. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, I guess it'll be a while before we know how this one plays I out. I think it will be a while. Um, and I will just say, I, I, you know, the, the the one point I was especially proud of, like, if, if I, I'm not suggesting folks should go read the transcript, but I, I thought my rebuttal was good. Like, I've, okay. you know, the rebuttals are hard sometimes, yeah. right? And I actually, I feel like yesterday I got it. Well, rebuttal it. puts you in that position. It's a little like tennis where it really depends on how the ball's hit into your court. Yep. And, like, you could be put in a position to do a, a really cool shot, or there could be a little you can really do. And this is, and, and I got one question during rebuttal, and it was from Justice Ginsburg. Um, and the question was something to the effect of, you know, how do you respond? The government points to the RJR Nabisco case. Like, how do you respond to that? And folks afterwards were pretty puzzled by the question. I think it was actually very savvy because I think she was picking up on the possibility that Kavanaugh might be, you know, she in the sensed middle. opportunity. She sensed opportunity, but without being too overt about it. Right. right. She asked me about a government citation to a case that's about extraterritoriality. And she's like, can you maybe one more time... Say more about how that's different. Say say more about why this is not really extraterritorial. Uh, See, that's the kind of inside baseball that it's just like people who don't know art well, but like me, and then they and, under- uh, I understand though that if I could just put the headphones on and listen to the narration from an expert as to what's really going on in some some right. piece, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that's what was happening in this, you know, girl with pearl earring. And then hearing you explain that, I, I would have read that transcript. I would never in a million years have picked up on that nuance. No, I, I totally. The second it was clear to me she was asking about RJR Nabisco, it was clear to me. I, I didn't put to, I didn't put together the she's Kavanaugh. Helping, she's helping you draw that distinction. I, I didn't sort of get the Kavanaugh part of it until I reflected on it after yeah, the argument. Yeah. But just it was clear to me that what she was saying was, can you one more time talk about extraterritoriality. And by the way, doesn't this go to what to me, and I should have led with this, the, the biggest concern would be, okay, wait, how do we make sure this, if we extend it to yeah. this circumstance, yeah. how does this not spill over into all these overseas national security activities? Well, that's what Gorsuch it, was too. Right. And overseas is the key here. Not to, well, None of this stuff. Right. Well, let me, I have, I have a counter argument in a moment, but yeah. as, as to shootings, yes. None of this is shot, you know, the shot projectile emerges from this side, crosses the border, hits on that but side. But imagine a, imagine an Air Force officer sitting at a right. Air Force right. base flying a drone. Right, exactly. So our response to that actually— Or a surveillance actually, argument. Or sur- right, and so our response to that, which I really believe to my core, is that um, historically there's been this distinction between law enforcement conduct and, and combat operations, right? And, right. That, and that the court and Congress has been far more um, solicitous of— remedies for law enforcement, yeah. right? For reasons that I think make a lot of sense, that law enforcement, there's a higher risk, um, right? There's yeah. less deference, right? There's all this other yeah. stuff going on. So, yeah. And so, so for me, you know, it's not just the officers on U.S. soil part of it. It's 
and it's yeah. ordinary law enforcement. Activities. Yeah, so maybe actually, maybe indeed, it's not that at all. It's it's the law enforcement right. aspect. But by the way, speaking of the overseas point, I just want to say one last thing, and then we yeah. should move on. Yeah. Um, so in prep for the argument, I was listening to all these old oral arguments, and I listened to the um, Supreme Court's argument in Verdugo, right? The big, you know, does the Fourth Amendment apply overseas? Mm-hmm. Which also came up a lot more. Right. Well, well right, because couldn't you just say like, look, some of these people don't have constitutional claims, period. So we don't reach the question of whether there should be a civil remedy. So that was a way out, right? That and, seems like an easy way out on. A lot of these. The problem is on a lot of these, yes. The problem is the cross-border thing, right? Where in Hernandez one, the court said, I think quite rightly, that the Fourth Amendment question is a little more fraught in this specific context because there are some decent arguments that Verdugo wouldn't apply where you have. Oh no, I agree. That's right. how, that's how you can get your outcome right. without without therefore casting right. the uh, prospect that's of right. Bivens right. litigation. And since this is especially relevant for this audience, let me underscore that I actually tend to agree with this that. You do for you to win. There is no need to go down a slippery slope that says, therefore, all kinetic operations conducted for national security purposes that have some element of decision making or maybe even remote trigger pulling from within the United States, but kinetic effect overseas doesn't remotely follow. That no, no. Therefore, these people have claims, both because you could distinguish it in the way by by citing armed conflict, that's but right. that won't always be available. No, no, but but, um, but you could distinguish it on the grounds that right. you just said. That's right, and you know, and, and I, I I take the point that CBP is at least in some context engaged in actual national security stuff, right? But you know, here, I mean, this yeah, is law it's enforcement. Not the, no, there's no claim of armed conflict. There's no claim of national yeah. self defense. There's none of those things. No, just, Whatever self defense element is. Individual right. self-defense. Which That's goes, not the same which, concept at all. Which goes to all. reasonableness under the Fourth Amendment right. if we get there. Right. And and then critical, just to underscore it one last time, yeah. um, this is not a scenario that somehow opens the floodgates to saying, well, therefore, everyone else around the globe gets no, no, the no, protections no. of the U.S. Constitution. And I, and I hope that came through in our, in our argument. So the last thing I just want to say is, in listening to the Verdugo argument, so the government lawyer who starts the argument in Verdugo gets up there and says, this case is about application of the Fourth Amendment overseas. And Rehnquist says... Overseas is an awkward way to describe Mexicali. <laughs> <laughs> it just went downhill from there. Like, oh man, but that it is fun to go back and read some of the arguments for really important classic cases. Or listen. I mean, you, oh, sorry, you can, yeah, listen. I mean, because you can listen on Oye, and if you yeah. listen on Oye, so Oye guys is this great resource that uh, I think Northwestern does. I don't know who has it now. I think it's, maybe yeah. yeah. Um, where it's like they've got not just the archived transcripts, but the archived audio synced up to the transcript. So you can actually like read and listen. And and even before the court would identify which justice was asking the questions, they've gone back and identified the justices. Um, so cause it used yeah. to be, there was a time where the Supreme Court transcript said, question, yeah. without identifying the justice. No, it's really, you know, my favorite example of this, so I use this when I teach con law, Griswold versus Connecticut. Yeah. There's a great moment in the oral argument where I think it's Hugo Black uh, questioning uh, Emerson, Professor Emerson from Yale's arguing it on behalf of the uh, the providers of uh, contraception services. And in the concern, the big issue is if they recognize any kind of individual unridden yeah. liberty interest here, is this revival of Lochner, right? And uh, so so Justice Black is is grasping for that. He's trying to express that, but he's he's kind of forgetting the details of like what was the issue in Lochner. He says something like, well, isn't this that isn't this like that case about the the loaves of bread or the size of the loaves of bread? It's something very close to that. And you and you get to witness an advocate trying to be um, tactful and polite in 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 both answering and distinguishing it, and not and not really drawing attention to the right the, the questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
All right. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully that that was also true yesterday if that came up. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of the border uh, and the Fourth Amendment, right? While right. all that was going on, we actually had a pretty big Fourth Amendment border development in yeah, District Massachusetts, Massachusetts, which I tend not to think of as a border state. Ah, but every state with international airport ha- in, or a coastline is a border state. Or both. Right. So airports are ports of entry. Um, this is Al-Assad, that's one word, A-L-A-S-A-A-D, Al-Assad and others versus Nielsen's, the style of the case. It's a, against DHS, effectively. Um, you have a group of American citizens plus one lawful permanent resident who are seeking declaratory and injunctive relief, uh, arguing that the Fourth Amendment is violated by the CBP and ICE policies that allow for uh, suspicionless device searches for people attempting to enter the country at the port of entry, even citizens, right? That's the critical thing. These are not non-citizens. These are people with clear, otherwise applicable claims to Fourth Amendment protection, um, including the lawful permanent residence. And so the model is there's there's sort of a, a bifurcated policy. Um, there's basic searches and advanced searches. And as a uh, the, the rule works like this. A basic search is, is manual. And if you can op- if, if you don't have an encryption problem, you can open the device, the phone, the laptop, and do whatever searching you want to do. Uh, and in both cases, ICE and CBP, there's no requirement of any suspicion, no predicate. You can just decide to do it. And then there's an advanced search option where you use some external equipment wirelessly or by wire uh, to more thoroughly and comprehensively perhaps even copy, not just explore the contents of the device, uh, and then perhaps even holding it for many days. Um, That requires articulable suspicion, uh, but not even that if there's just a national security context, right? So, but either way though, there's no warrant required, although clearly, and I think indisputably, would this were this to be an ordinary encounter between a government official and these same people with these same devices on a city street in that context absolutely no one would deny a warrants required so the issue is what's the deal with the border search exception which has been around forever this idea that it's an exception to the warrant requirement where you don't have to have a warrant in order for the search to be deemed constitutionally reasonable when it's a search occurring at the point of entry. The underlying justification is the general plenary control of the federal government over the border and especially the interest in protecting the integrity of the nation and its laws, uh, including especially inspection for contraband or things that shouldn't come in. Um, In a purely tangible materials world, there's only so much there's going to be with you that's coming in and there's only so much invasion of your privacy that's entailed necessarily in searching for contraband. And so the cost collectively to privacy over time with the border search exception was whatever it was, 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 let's say that amounted to 10 units. Now in a world of, so I I agree at ports of entry. Yeah. I think where there were, even in the, even in the sort of analog world, I think there were still significant privacy consequences that the Supreme Court never fully grappled with was the the border zone doctrine, right? Was that the was that border? Oh, if you were, were permissible, like, right? If you're like stopped hundred miles from a yeah, border. if you're stopped at a, a border search station inland, not so, even like no, but yeah. like there were um it, there were there were law enforcement getting on like Greyhound buses or Amtrak trains in upstate right New York. Ad, ad hoc border searches like with that are eighty five miles from the border, right? So there was already that dimension. So, of, I, just, I agree though. I think the geospatial elements of just already, where did this apply versus a straight port of entry, where right. I actually think it's a very different question. Right. So let's imagine a world in which it only ever happens at the ports of entry or or just right, you know, 
tangibly close to the border for plainly, let's even assume, plainly legitimate, real good faith reasons to try to detect contraband, which, by the way, that's a huge, huge, huge issue in a very worthy government goal. The thing that's changed is the classic story of technological disruption. So now we carry our lives with us on our phones and laptops. And most of us, most of the time, if you're doing international travel, are going to more or less have little but or no choice but to take that stuff with us. If you're going to be gone for a while, you got to keep up with work. Unless you're going to China, in which case, please don't take your stuff with you. Get mm. a burner and just take it with you. Um, setting that little editorial comment aside, mm. um, it's a Riley... It's a Riley case, Carpenter case style occasion for reassessing what Oren Kerr would call the, you know, the equilibrium adjustment function that drives Fourth Amendment doctrine. And Judge Casper at the district court level says, yep, that's exactly right, that the world of information that is suddenly exposed of necessity by, by sort of a rigid, uh, unthinking extension of border searches to these sorts of device deep dives, uh, it's just a wildly different amount of privacy cost. And the uh, and by the way, in an attenuation of the contraband detection uh, theory as well. You can detect other things. You can detect crime, no doubt, and detect all sorts of government relevant things. But spotting contraband in this digital space—that's a—that doesn't actually—that logic doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, here's the thing, though: the court does not hold, as I think many people are assuming from the headlines, the court does not hold that there's a warrant requirement. Right. The court says what's required is reasonable, right. articulable suspicion. So, 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 so as opposed to the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply at all, right? It's that we, it's that we're going to apply the Fourth Amendment, but not the full, but but with a sort of Terry-like um, um, exception to the warrant clause. Right, and this there's there's a huge difference. This would be a yes. dramatically bigger deal if they're saying, nope, go get a warrant based on probable right. cause shown. Right. In order to search these devices, no, so the court, the judge is analogizing it to a, a sort of what, what what we call in crim pro parlance a Terry stop, right? Where a law enforcement officer sees someone walking down the street acting in a manner that they believe, based on their training and experience, is suspicious. In those circumstances, they may not have probable cause to stop the person. They certainly don't have a warrant, but we still allow a reasonable suspicion-based stop. And so this is like a reasonable suspicion-based yeah. search. Right. So so that makes it sound like, oh, so wait, so they'll just come up with something, right? The court went out of its way to say the following, quote, Moreover, the reasonable suspicion that is required for the currently defined basic search and advanced search is a showing of specific and articulable facts considered with reasonable inferences drawn from those facts that the electronic devices contains contra- device contains contraband. Specifically. Contraband. So it's not just reasonable yeah. suspicion of something sketchy. Like, I think this might help us prove you're, you have this status or that status. Right. Contraband. Well, that narrows. It, it's very interesting to think about that way. If that, I have reasonable suspicion to believe that you might have. You lied on your application to whatever, get into the country. Right? Or, Versus, right, what are the circumstances where a law, a law enforcement officer is going to have reasonable suspicion to believe that I have contraband on my laptop? Yeah. Now, like, I'm sure there is. Like child sh- pornography? Uh, that would perhaps be an example. It's, right. it's very interesting, but I think this is actually much. On one hand, it's not as big a victory for the privacy side as the assumptions about the warrant requirement suddenly reattaching uh, would lead you to believe. On the other hand, I think this contraband element is potentially a big deal. Potentially. That's right. I mean, I think so. Some of it depends on how it gets operationalized in practice, right? But the other thing I was going to say was folks have been saying for years 
that it's long past time for the Supreme Court to get back into the question of border searches, right? That was Martinez Fuerte, I think, the last big I don't border know. search case, right? Um, and that meshing the border search doctrine with the the sort of shifts in the Supreme Court's approach to technology um, is long overdue. So I would argue that I I think that it would be better for Congress to get involved. Well, yeah. And, and so we do this in spades with all the FISA stuff. Right. Where and the Congress 702 stuff. The need for- and, and does things like, well, let's let's require by statute certain types of record keeping and reporting so we could learn what really happens. For example, if we if we thought this rule that Judge Casper came up with is the right rule, well, uh, let's have some statutory requirements about the, the writing down of the predicates that constitute the specific and articulable facts that the device contains contraband. And then over a period of, say, two years, let's collect that information, let's have that reported to the judiciary committees or what have you, and let's see how this seems to be working. I, that's a crazy idea. I mean, obviously, it's never going to happen. Yet we seem so quick to be willing to get Congress involved with legislation, including uh, oversight legislation on the intelligence collection side. But for these law enforcement activities, we just sort of wait for courts to develop this idea or that idea. Yeah. All right. Um, Real quick note, there was, speaking of FISA and FISA renewal, we've talked a lot on this show about the looming National Cupcake Day deadline, December 15th. It's not just National Cupcake Day, of course. It's the deadline for the renewal or not of roving wiretaps, lone wolf as a category under the agent of a foreign power uh section of FISA and Section 215, including the USA Freedom Act uh, provisions that currently govern call detail record requests. This is a big deal. We will talk about it more as the deadline draws near. Congress needs to make a decision here. And there was a report in the news the other day suggesting that the Democrats in the House have come out or at least have represented to journalists to say, yeah, we'll renew the other stuff, but we are not renewing USA Freedom Act. That The call detail records mechanism is just going to go away. Now, there's a lot we can, we have said, and probably will still say about that. But I just want to note that it wasn't entirely clear to me from the article, but it was implied that that they understand that you do still need to renew Section 215 itself in its document or records production uh, unrelated to the call detail records querying program. If so, that really is much more reasonable than what was afraid might happen, which is that the kind of the core post 9-11 change to 215 unrelated to bulk call detail records, that it was going to be swept away too, leaving it in its original 1990s, highly truncated version that, that I don't think anyone's really pushing for. Um, I'm sure somebody is. Should we journey to Trumplandia? Yeah, while we're here, you know, while we're uh, while while we're uh, uh, going near the border and listening to phone calls, let's also uh, let's take a trip into Trumpland. Okay, let's start with this New York Times report that Trump is considering firing the intelligence community's inspector general within the office of the director of national intelligence, Michael Atkinson, uh, for uh, allegedly for uh, perceived disloyalty for his act of having forwarded eventually a alerting Congress to the existence of the Vindman complaint that's at the root of the current impeachment effort and for having eventually then provided the document uh, in full. Uh, this is all all associated, of course, with things we examine on the show in detail about uh, the the uh, DNI McGuire's decision to uh, not go along with what you and I read the statute to require, but instead to kick the issue over to OLC, which then determined that you know this, that, and the other. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole again. Mm-hmm. Here's the important thing: um, when the New York Times wrote about this, it included. Uh, 
the two things I think are worth commenting on. First, quote, Mr. Trump believes he has the power to fire anyone in the executive branch. Though aides say they have learned to ignore many of his private rants unless the president brings up the subject repeatedly and appears on the precipice of making a move they feel could be damaging. And, the, and they think that and what's going on here is that there are people from within the White House who are now talking about this to reporters because they think it's reaching that point. And they fear that this could be quite antithetical to Trump's own interest in right. withstanding the impeachment. It's political, not legal. I mean, right. So it's, it's, it's the Saturday Night Massacre all over again where no one disputes that Nixon had the power to sack Elliot Richardson and yeah. Ruffleshouse. Yeah. It doesn't mean you should. It doesn't mean you should. Right. Now, the, now the Times is, sets up the framing as he thinks he's got the power to fire anyone and then follows that with, quote, inspectors general are supposed to be insulated from politics so they can follow the facts and provide oversight of the executive branch. While presidents have the authority to remove them, they're supposed to take that action only in cases of misconduct or failure, failure to fulfill duties. Um, would that it were so. I think that would be a great rule. That is not what the law says. No. That's not what the law says. And I think it is It is a uh, bit of a clever play on words to suggest otherwise. There are plenty of reasons to uh, to be uh, interested in the impeachment of Donald Trump. But, but adding fuel to the fire of his many examples of being lawless by trying to suggest that removal of the IG in this case would actually be lawless as opposed to being um, inappropriate on other non-legal dimensions, I think, I think is, a, is a big mistake. Here's the whole deal. Congress has considered making people like this particular officer uh, or offices like this particular one insulated from at-will removal by the president. Um, they've pondered legislation for this. They have not done it. It's been considered and so far hasn't happened. What they have done is they've specified that there are some inspectors general or other officers who can only be removed at, by the president himself Directly. as opposed to others. Right. And they have imposed advance notification requirements so that Congress gets an advance warning, as as is the case for this one. But to be clear, right, the reason why Congress hasn't done it is because there are constitutional objections from those who take seriously the unitary executive theory on the theory that someone like an inspector general cannot be insulated from presidential control. Right, which may well be the right view. I think I'm probably much more sympathetic to it than you are. You are, you are I mean, so... I, and I don't I, mean to say it's good that it's that way, but I no, think that no. might be descriptively right. I, I am not, I mean, I, I think I, I am I am on this very much in the middle, right, where I do believe that the president has to have significant control over principal officers, right? I'm not convinced inspectors general are principal officers. And I, I think at least that part of Morrison that holds that it's constitutional for Congress to create for-cause removal protection for at least some inferior executive branch officers, I think that's right. Um, so that's, so right. for me, the line really is the principal inferior officer line. Right. It's, and inspector generals are, by design, right. kind of murky in this respect because right. they are meant to be so independent. Right. Uh, and yet the status quo is they can't be removed. Now, people who are following this closely will note that, well, it's not just they have to give advance notice to Congress. The president must state the reasons. Um, so I did a little digging. And I think disloyalty is not going to work. So, so so if he said, well, here's the thing, though. No, I mean, if he says that, obviously, that would be atrocious. Yes. And, and probably no, no, it, would, it would comply with the statute. But, but it would comply with the statute. Yes. It doesn't say what the reasons have to be. Yes. Um, I, I looked at, I looked up, I tried to find some good prior examples that were given us some context. And the best prior controversy over this was, I think, when Obama fired uh, Gerald Walpin yeah. from being IG 
for this body called the Corporation for National Community Service. And basically what had happened, this is 2009, so very early in the administration, um, Walpin had just done an investigation that came down really hard on former NBA star Kevin Johnson and Sacramento mayor uh, in relation to some nonprofit activity with allegations. Federal of, grant money, right? Yeah, federal grant money allegedly misused. It was it was a really big deal, and it was very controversial. There were a lot of people who didn't like the way that Walpin had handled the investigation, but but but. Uh, President Obama removed him in the wake of this controversial action. He, um, Walpin had been a, a Bush appointee. And when he stated his reasons to Congress, he simply said, it's important to have the utmost confidence in inspector generals. And basically, I don't. So he's out of there. And lots of people complained. But it illustrates the point that this really is at will removal. And the point in the effect of the notice to Congress mechanism is to increase the visibility and thus the potential political costs, such as it might be, for having acted in ways that might simply reflect that you really don't like the way that person is performing their job. Um, it ought to be the case, in a perfect world it would be the case, that inspector generals, indeed that nobody, I think, who's sworn an oath to the Constitution can be fired for being sort of personally disloyal to the, to the individual who happens to occupy the office. Um, that said, there are plenty of positions, I suppose, where actually personal loyalty matters. It's just the chief inspectors. Yeah, chief of staff, White House personnel. Yeah. It's just, so I, I, I'm here, I modify yeah. my comment to cover the obvious cases. But surely inspectors general... Uh, like general counsels for the agencies shouldn't owe a duty of loyalty. This kind of goes back to Comey being right. asked to to show personal loyalty no, as FBI no, director. No it's ridiculous. Owe, no one should owe a duty of personal loyalty to the president outside maybe, right, maybe a few positions in the White House. Yeah. And and we can have conversations about which positions. But yeah. like, you know, I, I'd probably cast that net wider as far as the White House can, is yeah. concerned. But there's all kinds of positions of trust where the by far dominant duty. Yes. I mean, you you could owe loyalty to the president also in a nuanced way. You, yeah, absolutely. You owe, right. you owe loyalty to the president. Right. The oath, but the but oath not, you take is the oath you take is loyalty to the Constitution of the United States. Exactly. Yes. 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 That's just. Guys, that's just X's nose, bread and butter, dotting your eyes and crossing your T's no, it's for 20, the rule of law. It's 2019, dude. That's not that's not uh, that's not checkers anymore. This is like Fletch when uh, when Fletch jumps in the car that's being boosted by the kid and they're taking off and, and the kid says, "You you're gonna arrest me?" He's like, "Oh, I'm stealing this car? I'm not even sure that's a crime anymore." <laughs> Been a lot of changes in the law. Oh my gosh! All right, uh, what else we got? I I, I don't even want to. I, I just I can't even. Um, do you want to do a quick lightning round on Milcoms, or do you want to? I was going to say let's save Milcom. I because I, I really we keep we keep ending up in this position where we're giving Milcoms the back of the back of our hands, and I, I I really think it's it's worth some more attention. So let's save a full proper Milcoms discussion. There's no no huge news like today, right about the Milcoms. Right. Just a bunch of sort of creeping yeah. headlines about things going increasingly off the rails. I just want to say really, really quickly, there's stuff to talk about in Nishiri where there was actually a really big trial court ruling against the government on some pretty big evidentiary questions last week. Also, a stay from the D.C. Circuit of the third trial, Al-Hadi, right, the the one we never talk about, right. while, this, while the Court of Military Commission Review is considering his judicial bias claim about the trial judge. So, Two of the three pending cases are actually stuck in the mud right now. And the third is the 9-11 case where they're still in like, you know, week 37 of 5,000 on, you know, the sort of the impact of CIA torture and who's going to have access to what. I want to say more about all these things, but I think we'll do it justice if we give it more than lightning round treatment. Well, well at least we can do is do it justice. Yeah, not, not, not that justice is happening, just that we can do, we can do justice to the injustice. <laughs> I... 
Yeah. Okay. I know uh, yeah. you don't like yeah, delayed I, justice. I, I, I think. I think. Could, you, I think it, you could do justice to the delayed justice. Well, yeah. To the to the to the policy failure is is what I think is basically going on here. Although obviously at a certain point delay becomes injustice as well. Most importantly, though, justice delayed is justice denied. Yeah. Someone might say, and one one also might say that it's it's a endless win for the individuals like KSM who should be facing justice, who should be uh, receiving sentences, and who just perpetually aren't. All right. um, We have a few minutes here. What can we talk about of a frivolity uh, What would be frivolous? What would be frivolous? Well, the Astros apparently are cheaters. Uh, Hey, I thought we had a presumption of innocence. In what? In baseball. I'm sorry. You're right. (laughs) You know what? I'm sorry. That's right. We can't really talk about the Astros because the Astros have not. I didn't say we can't talk about it. Wait, wait, wait. let me finish the thought. Because the Astros have not been given their constitutionally guaranteed right to confront the witnesses against them. (laughs) Yeah. Did you read that from Stephen Calabresi? Is that what you're talking about? I read this piece by this, you know, co-founder of the Federal Society, chair of the board of the Federal Society, professor at Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law. Right. You're tagging everyone. Um, You know. I read this op-ed that says, hey, you know, this whole thing is a violation of Trump's Sixth Amendment rights. So it must be so. Yeah, no, it's... The, this is not frivolity. It's not... Well, actually, it is frivolity. This is frivolity because these arguments are fucking Riv- frivolous. Woo! The, the double F yes. designation. Yes. So Steve's going all Rule 11 on Calabresi. Um, completely agreed that it's frivolous to claim that, that the constitutional trial rights are applicable to an impeachment inquiry. Um, now... Uh, would we agree, I think we would, that these rights would attach in a Senate trial? I think they ought the trial, to. So, so I think they ought yeah. to. The right? text isn't clear as it ought to be the text on that not, point. Because the text refers to criminal prosecutions and a trial in the Senate right. is not a criminal case. Right. So maybe not. I also, let me just say, I also take a broader view of when I think the Confrontation Clause should apply than the Supreme Court does because the, there are contexts in which the Supreme Court actually doesn't apply the Confrontation Clause, mm-hmm. even in criminal cases. There's an open question. Let me tie some threads together. An open question as to whether the Confrontation Clause applies to the Criminal Military Commission Prosecutions at Guantanamo. Yeah. Which is crazy that we could be multiple decades into this and don't have a clear and settled oh, answer I was going to say it's crazy. Question. I would bet you that Steve Calabresi would take the position that Trump gets Confrontation Clause rights oh, in the don't. House and KSM oh, doesn't. Uh, no, certainly. I'm, I'm quite sure he'd take that position. Okay. Um, so that's that's frivolity of the and formal he, and kind. He, he could be wrong on both counts. Um <laughs> I just I like it this is this is I have the same reaction to this that I had to Judge Rao's dissent in the Mazars case, which is these people are smart enough to know that they're gaslighting. And if you know that you're doing it and you're doing it anyway, that is so much worse to me than just honestly believing arguments that turn out to be wrong. Well, while I agree with you that the arguments are, in both cases you've cited, are quite wrong, I'm not sure I'd agree with you that, that it's knowing. Uh, in fact, I, I don't think it probably is in either case. In, in you in you these, don't think Steve Calabresi knows that the text of the Sixth Amendment, that the first four word, four, that the first four words of the Sixth Amendment say, in all criminal prosecutions? Oh, I think he knows that. Right. But I don't think that it follows that he is knowingly lying or mischaracterizing his own true beliefs. I think that people, being the way people are, sometimes are so motivated, so driven, so uh, acting through the like lens, blinded by the blinded by the blinded by their of, views and yeah. their beliefs and their preferences, etc. And, and, and motivated reasoning is a mighty force, a mighty force. And I think it's having its effect certainly there. Uh, I think with, with Judge Rao's. Uh, opinion. I think that's it. It's kind of reminds me of John Yu. I think that these are their views. Oh, on speaking these of, did of you see John Yu has a book coming out? 
I did indeed. It's going to be a election timed defense of or the defender in chief. I believe is the title. I don't even know. What and the it's hell an it's argument. Called. It's going to be an argument that Trump is the most Constitution, rule of law defending president we've what, ever seen. We've ever seen. Um, no, no doubt it will be an intensely provocative and and quite thoroughly You're wrong. You're so diplomatic. Intensely provocative and quite thoroughly wrong That's still diplomatic. set of claims. That's still diplomatic. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, blessed be the peacemakers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, any real frivolity of the of the laughy sort? The lighter sort? Okay, so you've watched um, Mandalorian Episode watched, 1. I'm um, going to watch it tonight. So, so it's, it's interesting. Like, we got Disney Plus because of the girls, right? Because, like, access to all those movies hey. is going to be super helpful. Disney's for everybody, but baby. But, man, I'm, 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 I'm using it for the Star Wars. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm here for the Star Wars. I'm here for the Marvel. I'm here for all of it. So I just want to say one thing to folks who are, who are thinking about watching the first episode of The Mandalorian and haven't yet. If you are halfway through the episode and you feel like it's a little slow... All I'm going to say is stay for the end. Yeah. You should and always no, give a pilot no, the... No spoiler alert, but just the as as all good pilots do, yeah. right? This one this one sort of ropes you in and then punches you in yeah. the face. So next week we'll have a review of Mandalorian Episode 1. That means you have until next week. You know, you get like a seven-day free trial, but they're they're not fools. They're not putting the whole series on right now. No, so go ahead and sign up. You know, th- you, you know you can't resist Disney. Just go ahead and book but it. But here's the thing. Um... Friday, uh, Amazon drops season three of Man- uh, season four of Man in the High Castle, and I um, am trying to catch up. But there's no I way know. I'm going to do it. And then Sunday, Netflix drops season three of The Crown. Yes, I'm in for that. We will review Crown episode one next week. All too. right. So next week, that, uh, that I can count on because I have the spousal support on that there, one. So as do I. All right. So we have a double frivolity plan for next week, which is episode one of The Mandalorians. Episode one of The Crown, season three. Season three. Yeah. Um, so if you want to follow along, be ready for that by next week, or else you just you have or to else, tune out the yeah, frivolity. Spoiler alert. Um, but oh, frivolity. Yeah, I, I guess that's right. Our, our frivolity is 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 serious this week. Yeah. Oh well. Well, there's there's a lot of serious frivolousness going on. Yeah. We'll we'll be as as the months ahead come along. I think between the impeachment inquiry and then the eventual trial and then the eventual you know sure if there's there's a trial yeah if there even is. Uh, By the way, someone tried to. I'll close with this. Somebody tried to tell me the other day. They thought you know McConnell's like like Varys the spider. He's like you know Biden his time. Biden his time. He's on the he's on the King's Council and then then the knives come out and suddenly uh, suddenly Pence is president. I don't. I don't think so. I think that the the it's the politics. It's the politics are overwhelming. The forty six percent of the country, as of some poll I saw this morning, still is opposed to removal, uh, and that number for likely Republican voters is through the roof. That's that's the national number. Um, so the, the there's too much self interest. Yeah. No, Maybe I'll just, just stop there. There's I, too much self interest. I read a story. Well, that's true in so many ways. Yeah. I, I read a story. And that's about, human nature. I, I read know. a story about like sort of you know Republicans who have who have seen all this polling data that's just telling them that the only way to sort of the yeah. only way out yeah. right is to lash themselves to the mast. Yeah. Of, of well, Trump. okay. So wait, let's continue. So Nikki Haley. Yeah. I was I was very disappointed. Very disappointed by the turn this took because she had she had kind of like she had kind of positioned herself. Of, there were a couple of ambiguous things that could have been appropriated in retrospect as like you know. Stick. I would say even more than that. Like she had a, she had more than a few moments where she was creating distance and and positioning herself not to anymore. come in. And clearly, a judgment has been made that that's not the way to go. I'm all in on Trump. So so she and I heard this from Rich Lowry on National Review it was on TV this morning. And I heard them both saying this argument that look. The money actually went through. It was sort of like saying, you know, maybe he was planning to kill, 
you know, Fredo. But Fredo's alive. So, I mean, really, is this impeachable? Uh, Rich Lowry went so far as to say that there was something, it was wrong to try to seek individual gain. But in the end, he didn't follow through on the threat. The money, the money went through to the Ukrainians after all. I can't believe anyone would say with a straight face that the failure to follow through on this was a sufficient expiation for the sin of trying to do it in the first place. I have nothing else to say about that. Bobby's fired up. I feel like whenever you're fired up, I don't. I just want to stop talking. So I'm going to stop talking. Very good. He's at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladek. We are at NSL Podcast, the award-winning the NSL award-winning. podcast. Yes. Um, and we should just say really briefly that none of this would be possible without you guys. And so yeah. you know we we do this for you because otherwise we just sit in this room yelling at each other and no one would hear us. Stay safe out there. Adios.